0: This is Healing Justice. My name is Kate Warning, and welcome to the first episode of Healing Justice, diving into the topics of organizing strategy, activism, trauma healing, and spiritual and cultural needs of our social movements. I am here today with two of my most core collaborators and beloved friends in this work: Teresa Pasquale Mateus and Shauna Wakefield. Teresa is a longtime trauma therapist and social justice activist living in Chicago. She is a co founder of the Mystic Soul Project, which is a POC centered approach to contemplation, activism, and healing, hosting their first conference in Chicago this January. She is the author of two books about trauma and spirituality, and we are working with frameworks together around the correlation of the cycles of social movement phases and personal trauma and resilience responses. As a bilingual and bicultural woman, Teresa uses both pronunciations of her name, either Teresa or Teresa, and so you'll hear that throughout the podcast. Shauna Wakefield is a gender justice advocate, is biracial, African-American, and white Canadian, and is mother of two awesome girls living in Brooklyn, New York. Shauna organized with immigrant and refugee women of color in the 90s and was Oxfam International's senior gender justice lead for seven years. She is currently an organizational development consultant with Gender at Work and teaches trauma-informed yoga and meditation. My name is Kate Warning, and I come to this work through a decade of community organizing. My deepest roots are working in the immigrant rights movement. I am a lead trainer with Momentum and a trauma-informed yoga teacher and somatic student. I am on the founding faculty team of Liberation School. I lead workshops called Resilience for Changemakers and have collaborated with both Shauna and Teresa in designing and co-facilitating these in cities across the country. I am sitting here at this intersection of exploration with you, hoping to gather many people around the campfire of this podcast microphone to have conversations that help us integrate many of the questions that we wrestle with as the chaos in the outside world and the necessity to respond gets balanced with the chaos often within us with exhaustion, burnout, anger, internalized oppression, broken relationships, It is our hope that you will come gather around the fire with us. In this episode, we will share about how the name Healing Justice was chosen, what that means to us and to others, and the types of conversations that we hope to have here. Hope it's useful for you, and welcome to Healing Justice. I'm here with two of my absolute favorite collaborators, um, Shawna Wakefield and Teresa pasquale Mateus. Hi, y'all. How you doing? Good, Kate. Hi. Hi. Doing well. Hey, hey. Hey, Teresa. Hello, everyone. Shauna and I are here in uh, the recording studio, a.k.a. my bedroom in Brooklyn. Um, and Teresa, you're in your bedroom, too, over there in Chicago? I am, yes. Okay, so this is very personal work. (laughs) It starts at home. Um, And also we're excited to be joining all y'all wherever you are in your day, moving about, maybe in your personal space, maybe out doing your work in the world. And we're honored for the relationship that you're extending to us to spend a little bit of time with us. We're here today because we want to talk a little bit about what is this concept of healing justice from our own perspectives, um, the own experiences in our own lives that have driven us to seek and uh, work at this intersection, um, and also the aspirations of what this particular configuration of conversations via this podcast can be and fuel and add and convene um, in the world. And so first, maybe Shauna, if you would just tell us a little bit about what brought you to this intersection, whether it was the language of healing justice for you or some other language,
1: what brought you here and kind of what you're up to in the world. Hmm. Um, It definitely wasn't the language of healing justice. Um, This language is newer to me. Um, I've been working on women's rights, gender justice, Um, economic justice issues for about 20 years now. Um, And I was just sitting here thinking about my first um, job out of college working with um, immigrant and refugee women from Eritrea and Ethiopia um, in a catering cooperative. And we taught about um, economic literacy and welfare reform was going through. Um, And the organization wasn't um, Run in a way that was sustainable,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, or really economically just, and it felt like a a big disconnect. And I think, you know, sitting here, I'm I'm uh, kind of realizing yet again that I've spent quite a long time thinking about how organizations work, um, how we live our values, um, and being uncomfortable that too much of the time, um, even in social justice organizations. Um, and organizing work, we're not always living our values um, mm-hmm. of compassion, of equality, of um, challenging unequal power um, from a place of wholeness. And so I've found this language um, to be really refreshing <laughs> and inspiring, um, much like collective care, much like you know um, the concept of well-being for activists. Um, which for so many people is a real um, incongruous term, you mm. know, or incongruous idea that you can be well or have joy or, you know, have fun <laughs> doing work that's, you know, uh, in the face of violence. So I, you know, I left a job a few years ago now. Um, I was working for Oxfam as a um, head of gender justice And my last couple of years there, I was um, finding myself coaching people a lot at work and um, just people having a hard time with trying to do the work of um, challenging gender inequality um, from an intersectional perspective within the organization and to get the work done outside Um, and seeing how stressed out people were and burnt out people were. And um, so I started thinking, I need to find out who's doing work on this stuff like and so I had like my personal research project just going out and finding people in the international spaces primarily who were doing healing work, care, you know, um, strengthening type work, seeing people as whole heart, mind, body. there's like all this other language mm. um, that I learned before healing justice um, And so I've been on a on a kind of quest um, to try to find out how to do this work and how to support, um, activists and organizations to be places of healing and building resilience to keep going on this work because it just it's obviously going to keep having to be done mm-hmm. you know whether you're working on immigrant and refugee rights humanitarian crises climate change you know whatever whatever issue it is mm-hmm. there's just so much that we need to keep working on and we have to be well to be able to do it. hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. And sure. I know also in your own life, you've pursued practices that have sustained yeah. you. I'm wondering if that was always the case or if that's like a more recent years kind of thing for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been a real serious project of mine, I would say, for the last 10 years. Um, I mean, I started practicing yoga like like right after grad school in 2000. And um, I grew up in a, a religious household. So spirituality even was kind of like My dad loves music, and he plays music actually quite religiously, but it was not, you know, Mm. talked about in a spiritual way or religious way. I see it now, and it's super fascinating to me. Um, But that came later through my own experience of loss, um, uh, loss and personal trauma that I had um, where I just sort of shifted, and I found meditation kind of on my own and... um, and then, just you know increasingly realize I need this in my life mm. every day, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so it's been evolving and shifting um and now it's primarily uh yoga, Buddhist meditation, friendships, mm. cultivating um presence with my family, being in nature, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, enjoying people that I work with, and not just being there to get the job done,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah something that so that enjoying people that I work with feels to me like that should be such a baseline expectation but yet mm. the way that we work ourselves and the way that we treat one another sometimes in the movement can squeeze out um, some of the joy and fulfillment and liberation that we were that we were able to hold in the external conditions that we're in yeah um, and I want to ask you Teresa too what brings you here what you're seeking? Have you always been at the intersection of healing and justice, or have you had moments of swinging to the extremes?
2: I, well, I think it's interesting, Shana, listening to your perspective and framework and how you came into it. Because in some ways, I came from um, so almost like justice, the justice first, and then exploring how the healing integrates is what I was hearing. And for me, my work was always healing. Um, working in trauma care and for eight years working with combat veterans and survivors of military sexual trauma after graduate school, um, that the my entry point into the work as a whole was the healing piece. And it was healing, in interestingly enough, in a context that actually was, is really relevant now, working with people that are surviving or have survived war, is sadly but truthfully super relevant in a lot of how I saw the parallels so distinctly in terms of people that are on the front lines of activism. So I I came in through the door and the avenue of healing, particularly in sort of my my background um, being licensed clinical social worker in a traditional model, but my model of practice, even in psychotherapy, was always very non-traditional and very organic in the sense that I felt that talk therapy was highly limiting. For me in my own experience of trauma, um, and PTSD in my own life, the exploration of spiritual and healing practices that were very physical, that were very embodied was, was critically important, specifically yoga, uh, to sort of regain access to my body in a way that was healthy, Buddhist mindfulness practices and meditation that helped to reframe how our mind processes things. And then for me, coming from a Christian tradition, returning back to those roots and finding Christian contemplative practice, which really was a foundation of spirituality that connected the Eastern lineages that I had learned and the the core that I actually loved of the Western lineage, which was that that deep spiritual meditative practice from the from the west tradition as well and bringing that into mm-hmm. the care first of of combat survivors and military sexual trauma survivors and and being able to see how much we need to embody and how much we need the spiritual care as well as the physical care and the emotional care to sort of move the trauma that is held in all those parts of ourselves and then, almost by chance, getting engaged in communities of sort of spiritual justice and faith and justice, not because I was ever necessarily a front lines activist person. And I like to just I, I like to make that distinct because I I deeply respect so much the work of or primary you know organizer first people, um, activist first people whose work all day and night tirelessly is the work of movement building and movement growing. That I want to be clear that sort of the framework I come into healing justice really is healing brought into justice and not that I'm a front lines person, meaning even though I'll go to protests and I go to rallies, what I've also learned about this work of intersecting healing and justice and being on the healing side is that in some ways, kind of like the medic on the battlefield, you don't get to go to the front lines and you're not supposed to be there because if you go to the front lines, then there's no one to actually Hmm. take care of the people that need mending. Uh, when they need to come back out of the front lines, I learned that very distinctly when I was at Standing Rock. It was this because it was this very physical positionality of being at protests and realizing that that I had to be a certain distance away from the people that were doing and were working towards the front lines work, so that when they they had to be pulled back, that I could be where I needed to be to utilize the tools that I had to support the movement in in the way that I can. So for me, the healing part came into the justice realm really as taking those skills from combat trauma, realizing that the front lines of justice were experientially the same in a lot of ways. How people experience front lines of justice work is very similar to how people experience front lines of war in terms of how the trauma manifests in people is just as acute uh, and just as important to be addressed. And up until very recently... Um, that not even being really a conversation that people were having. So what's exciting to me about mm-hmm. people more deeply taking on this language and what it means to them and being in conversation and even the concept of a space like this to have people delve into where they're coming at this, this language is that people are, are all starting mm-hmm. to, on a much more massive scale, realize that it's unsustainable to function in movements and in organizing, particularly in this political moment, in the ways that have happened before, because the acuteness of the trauma, the front lines being so much more intense and so much more rapid, there needs to be more. And so that for me is exciting that people are recognizing that and that there's space to have deeper conversation about what that looks like.
0: It strikes me also just Even the way that you're talking about Frontline, Teresa, based on what I know about you of having been present at Standing Rock and also doing the healer support, like when we hosted together the Resilience for Changemakers um, trauma workshop in Chicago this summer, the same weekend that Charlottesville was happening. And then immediately when we held after holding space for two days for 30 people around trauma and resilience, you zipping down to Charlottesville and being there for a week supporting people um, after all of the confrontation and the, and the violence and even the death that had happened there. Um, and then even just thinking also about your own body, right? Of like, really none of us in many different ways and disproportionate ways, but none of us have the luxury of not being on the front lines in some ways in these times just by merely existing. And um, so it strikes me too, this idea of like, what are the many roles that we play and how are many of them like frontline in different aspects. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a critical piece to assess in terms of almost these levels of traumatization as well as being uh, the ways in which we're all impacted. I think you're right to say that there's there's components of frontline's experience. The one thing that Charlottesville taught me about myself was even after almost a decade of working in combat trauma, there were, I had created these these therapeutic boundaries to the pain and suffering of people so that I could hold it in that way. Mm-hmm. And when I learned about Charlottesville that was distinctly different, and then I, I realized that there needs to be a new level of equipping and skill sets, was that uh, there are people that I know and care about that were hurt uh, emotionally mm-hmm. and communally in Charlottesville and... I was in the immediacy of trauma that still wasn't ending, you know. So it's it's much more like literally walking into the battlefield in the middle of war, which is very different than meeting someone in an office after they've come back out, because Charlottesville was still happening even after the major incident. They're still mm-hmm. surrounded by the same danger that's living and breathing in the community that they're in. So people are still in the state of actual distress, and then it being personal, I realized that there was there's a level of A collateral pain that you that you have to equip for differently and that was a realization for me one that we are on the front lines as you said Kate in very different ways but still there and and how we need to nurture ourselves and set up our emotional space Mm. as healers is also critically important and it's going to look different in these different contexts that are so still in it Mm.
1: you know there's just like a need to I think both Name that there's all kinds of needs and and to really you know speaking of us sort of assessing like where are where are we and what are we offering because um, we we're not going to all do the same thing we don't all come from the same experiences um, so I feel like that's true and there's a real need for a <laughs> just people to evolve into like we can feel you know we need to start to feel. Um, what folks who are directly impacted by, you know, police brutality, the families of folks that are losing lives, um, you know, understand what does it feel like to be somebody who's experienced domestic violence or to try to understand, you know what it's like to be a family member supporting? You know, all the stuff that's just like front page news right now mm-hmm. is, you know, it's been going on under the radar and um, you know, of national news perspectives, but, I feel like we're at this moment now. I mean, the fact that we're having this conversation um, is so great in, in many ways. And it's like, it just, it's a moment where I think more people are saying, well, actually, we need to start feeling some of this stuff. We can't just, yeah. you know, especially folks with all kinds of privilege who've been able to just separate. Because mm-hmm. um, if we don't, it feels like we'll just keep reproducing mm-hmm. all kinds of oppression and inequality. Um, but I was just thinking, I mean, Teresa, as you were talking about how you came into it from a um, you came into it through healing and then and then justice. And I, when I, during that first job, I spoke about, um, I remember separating because I was like, I can't be crying all the time. Mm-hmm. And like I can't bring these women to the welfare office and talk about their experience of you know, being beaten up this morning. At ho- like, I was just always feeling, you know, like just feeling and feeling and crying. And um, and I remember getting the message, like, you can't do that. You're not effective, mm-hmm. you know. And I totally took that to heart. And what that meant to me was I need to uh, do a different kind of work where I can, you know, more do it from my head. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of folks <laughs> are doing different kinds of justice work from head, not heart, mm-hmm. and body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: We had talked, you know, some of the work that the three of us have done together and individually is looking into who are the other people working at this intersection Mm -hmm. and what experiences and stories are there for us to learn from. And one of them that a few of us mentioned was thinking about how the Black Lives Matter network seems to be having these conversations at a more regular and institutionalized and intentional level than a lot of the recent movements or organizations that we've seen. Mm -hmm. And so I want to just lift up this quote from Prentice Hemphill, who's the director of Healing Justice at Black Lives Matter Network, and we will share the article that Prentice wrote about what healing justice is um, in the show notes. But Prentice says, healing justice is the how of our movements. It's the Mm -hmm. texture, the experience, and the vision that guides us. It's our effort towards transforming ourselves, our ways of building relationship, and our institutions to support and sustain Black aliveness that has carried us forward. Mm. And so that being the definition within Black Lives Matter Network that folks are using. And I think thinking about the how of our movements is helpful for me in both like where can we feel more and also what Mm -hmm. are the practices that we need to... titrate the feeling so that the feeling doesn't overrun Mm -hmm. our lives Mm -hmm. right like as you're talking about shauna and um i know like in my personal experiences of what i would call burnout have been like a combination of both things running to extremes um i think like in my first gig uh as an organizer i spent five years um organizing with immigrant youth and youth, young people of color in Milwaukee and Racine Wisconsin and um i remember on a couple levels like both being really pushed into a headspace all the time that was like keep fighting keep going don't acknowledge the feeling that's coming up and then also also just like working with teenagers who were undocumented and were just finding that out for the first time or um, were being profiled at their schools and like taking in those stories on a really deep emotional level. And there's a particular moment for me that I feel like crystallizes um, my motivation to be on this journey now, 10 years later of uh, wanting to deeply figure out what is, how the healing part and the justice part can be simultaneously together. Mm-hmm. Um, when in Wisconsin in 2011, when, um, our Governor Walker took office and we had a mass protest that are now referred to as the Wisconsin Uprising. And it was like my first major moment of the thing that I had been like studying and learning and dreaming about and building towards in terms of what mass protest and like people-powered change could look and feel like. And we had 200,000 people in the streets in little Madison, Wisconsin, day in and day out, occupying the Capitol, mobilizing together, um, eventually running a, a recall election. Um, and it was both like, it was February in Wisconsin. So it was absolutely freezing. Um, and it was both kind of the thing that like I had most dreamed about being possible happening quite soon in my own politicization of mm-hmm. like the biggest mobilization in my state's history happening as I was a young person organizer. And, um, and I remember just like Getting up day after day at five in the morning so that we could get a bunch of young people onto buses before the high school started so they wouldn't be truant. And then um, we would like head off to Madison and march all day. And I remember my like Puma sneakers being soaked and wet and like stuck to the ice. Um, from standing in place for so long because there were so many people all trying to move. It was like the Women's March also. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like just like trying to move and, and so much congestion of, of bodies. Um, and like not knowing where we would next be able to go to the bathroom or get another bottle of water or finding a random piece of cold Domino's pizza and that was like your food for the day. And I just remember after like day after day and week after week of the mass mobilization feeling like, this is both my biggest dream, like, this is what I'm here for, and th- this deep shame around, like, admitting to myself, like, I I need this to not continue because mm. I'm sick and I'm exhausted and I'm, like, crying and I haven't mm. seen my partner in, like, weeks, basically, other than if he's able to, t- you know, <laughs> take some days off work or on the weekends ride the bus with us and, like, sit next to me on the bus. Um, and feeling like there's got to be a way that we can create configurations in our movements that pace this work, and that we can tag into different roles and different timing, mm-hmm. and like integrate the the physical like awareness of what's physically possible for us.
1: Yeah, I've I've been looking um, into the way that feminist organizations work and organize themselves um, and did some research. It was um, through Oxfam. um, They gave me a lot of freedom to talk to different kinds of um, movement support organizations uh, that are based around the world. And um, (laughs) one of them, it's a network, uh, Move to End Violence. They've got this. uh, logo, which is a, a flock of birds, and they use that because you know the head bird, <laughs> whatever they're called, the lead bird, you know, goes to the back when the when the lead bird gets tired, and then somebody else comes forward, another mm. bird comes forward, and they just shift off like that, and that's like this model of you know it's a symbol of collective leadership, um, and that's you know these these organizations that I was looking at were all doing some kind of You know, shifting in and out. There are organizations that support networks and you know, loose networks, more solidified networks with names, um, but all about you know, supporting young folks to come up for being you know, um, inclusive of all kinds of diverse aspects of identity um, that people bring into their their movement work and their the organizations themselves, Um, looking at how people are being taken care of, uh, relationships, because, you know, and from what I know about trauma, I'm just learning um, primarily through my yoga work, um, but the importance of relationship building and the importance of not being isolated to dealing with, um, to dealing with stress and trauma. Um, and so these organizations have all kind of um, just associates for women, um, raising voices. They work in Africa. They work all over the World Urgent Action Fund, um, providing support for women human rights defenders. Um, they're all doing work to help build these bridges between people and the organizations. Simple things, some of them. Having lunch together, you know, yeah. seeing people as human, rotating the responsibility for meetings. Um, You know, sharing meals together, just in ways that are, you can't help but see someone, and that helps you to see yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, so I think that there's examples out there, and I'm I I'm really looking to them. I'm looking to find them because I'm uh, I get tired of complaining and analyzing and you know just like being angry that things aren't the way they should be. So I'm in this space where I'm like, who's doing this kind of work that can inspire other people? (laughs) yeah,
2: uh, I'm a. It's interesting that imagery that you offer, Shauna, of the birds, the movement, that sort of flight path of, ebbing forward and shifting back. Uh, a lot of my work, particularly with. Uh, the Mystic Soul project which is about centering people of color voices but also deeply about indigenous and tribal reclamation it's sort of how do we move out of colonized and western mindsets of how things happen and reclaim and remember historic ways in which communities nurtured each other and held different space in terms of our skill set rather than a hierarchy of of knowledge and power at the top and And everyone else sort of lower down or or this hierarchical structure. Um, And so part of that for me is is kind of what you're talking about, You, you know, doing that research for me is also doing historical research. So what are the things that we've forgotten that we knew and what do we need to remember from all of our own traditions and lineages that are actually organic ways of building community and sharing responsibility and holding space for one another, and practicing healing rituals and spiritual disciplines, that we don't even we don't need to recreate. Maybe they need to be manifested in different ways in this time, but in many ways, reclaim and remember. And that's been really—it's been personally rich for me in terms of this idea of remembrance and restoration, and, and empowerment in that way. But also really rich in the sense of so much that's been forgotten is truth that we can hold at the front of how we're healing and being community in these moments that I think even movements have, have oriented around westernized approaches to how we function in many ways. And, and there's things that there are tools there that we can remember.
0: Mm-hmm. That brings up a big motivation for me around like why a podcast, Why now? Um, just because like that remembering those conversations, that sharing, that reclamation, um, feels like a conversation that's being had more and more. But oftentimes,, um, you know, that I had like this extreme privilege over the past two years of working with Citizen Well and essentially spending a huge part of my time connecting with people all across the country. Who are working at the intersection of healing work and justice work. And um, one of the things that I would hear most commonly is like the hunger for knowing other people doing this work and learning from their experiments too and feeling more part of a community. And I feel like I see that in my organizing community too um, of folks coming in and like wanting to create more healing space and having some basic ideas of what that can look like, but wanting further support around deepening those ideas of, like, how do we not just make sure that we ate a healthy lunch today and, like, um, you know, create a healing space in the corner at our training with some essential oils and a, a plant and a place to draw pictures, but also how do we, like, deepen our ability to actually hold one another and when people are in triggered or traumatic responses um or when we're having conflict in our teams which is like all the time right because we're human beings um and so folks wanting more of that sense of connection and support and for me like in considering my little grain of sand that I can add to this work which started way before i was born and will continue way after and there's tons of people all over the country that i have yet to meet and learn from um is like how might we create a campfire in a way that people who are having this conversation or experimenting in their own communities or can lift up traditions from their own lineage and their own people um, in that sense of reclamation like you're talking about Teresa. To, to gather around and share those stories with one another in a way that narrative can build and fortify all of our exploration and journey and experimentation at this intersection in a way that trying to fit folks into an organizational structure or a convening or whatever like can be sometimes mechanical and limiting. And so as for me, as an organizer that was like totally indoctrinated around building power at all times, I feel like at this moment in my own journey, I'm taking a, I'm leaning back into a trust around what if we share narrative really open handedly as a means to create more connection and then see see what further building comes from there instead mm-hmm. of trying to force a building right which replicates not only the way I was trained as an organizer but also my identity as a white woman in this work. Mm-hmm. Um, it not being appropriate or healthy or decolonizing in any way for me to try to like, uh, configure other, other beings into a formation. Um, and so I'm excited about this experiment and like, how might our stories fortify one another? And also in asking other folks, like, what might this terminology mean to you? Um, diving in around the history. I know, uh, there are folks, especially through the U.S. Social Forum over the past seven years that have done work that's been specifically named healing justice, how we might share that history more widely and learn from that. And also from folks really doing work also at this intersection that might be using other mm-hmm. terminology to describe it.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> we don't want to create silos in this work. We want to bring it together. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm all about like, what are the principles behind what is trying to be done, you know, um, kind of regardless of the project. There must be so many kinds of language that that I don't even know about, you don't even know about. What am I interested in? I'm interested in um, people not reproducing their own trauma when they do justice work um, or human rights work or humanitarian work, that we don't push away our feelings. I just was catching up with a humanitarian friend who's worked in all kinds of crises around the world who was talking about how she had really separated it out, you know, the, her work in Bosnia. Um, so many years ago, she sort of separated out their trauma from, you know, the trauma that I was experiencing, as she said it, to be able to do the work. And, you know, the, <laughs> I'm not a trauma specialist. Teresa can comment, you know, on this. But, <laughs> but the idea of completely separating yourself out from feeling seems not the way to... Um, you know, to continue.
2: Mm. Well yeah, and I think that then that delicate balance to me is where what both of you are talking about is so important. How do we how how does all all of the people that are doing, how do all the people that are doing this work sort of find each other? How do how do we connect those conversations that are happening in various pockets in so many different ways that are called so many different things so that we do have resources to know how to navigate that very delicate balance of holding space for other people. And I think some of that does come out of trauma care work, meaning there are some resources that exist specifically around trauma that talk about secondary traumatization, so Mm -hmm. that trauma we feel when we experience other people's suffering. And how we hold that. But it's also, if we think about silos, still very siloed into a medical mental health model. And that's not, I mean, the care is not as clear cut when we're talking about this concept of healing justice or how it's acting itself out. I mean, even the, even the small anecdote that I talked about from Charlottesville, realizing that taking the frameworks and concepts that I knew uh, from clinical care in an office out into the front lines of a movement that was still deeply in trauma, looks very different uh, and and really much more like, if it's close to anything, deployment psychology. So how do you treat people when they're still actually in the field? Mm. I think there's information to be learned from that, but there's such a wider uh, br- breadth of, of content and knowledge and wisdom that's that's existing in communities at this sort of micro level. So much of what I've learned from trying to find out how people are intersecting their PLC identity and how they're reclaiming Indigenous practices and lineages and healing and spiritual traditions, is learning that so much of this is happening organically at local levels in small communities, where unless you're seeking out people that are doing this work, you could never know the the mass amount of of beautiful things that people are working on and intersecting and western western traditions with indigenous traditions and eastern traditions with western and indigenous traditions all being brought together in very particular ways for particular communities so for me i'm excited that it feels like just a precipice of of being able to pull together all of this wisdom that every time i think i've i've found a deeper level I keep finding more people working in communities doing beautiful things that that are really unseen in many ways. And especially if we're talking about, you know, P- organic community, organizing in POC communities. And then if you add queer and trans POC communities, that it's already invisibilized in so many ways. So being able to hold those up and see what's happening is is really a beautiful process that I think is necessary in this moment. Mm.
0: I think of the conversations that would be possible in talking to folks, like you said, that are really doing this work. And I'll speak just domestically. And I know, Shauna, mm-hmm. you've seen this internationally, too, of um, like the work that came out of the earlier social forums, and especially with Kindred Healing Justice and Kara Page in the South, thinking about the Black Lives Matter network really consistently holding up a healing justice framework, the Icarus Project, um, mental health and like well-being initiatives that have come out of other organizations recently in the immigrant rights movement we've seen the Undocu Black Mental Wellness Initiative United We Dream is doing an initiative called Undocu Health there's another initiative called undocu Healing Project. I love just undocu UndoQ, You. Undock you, <laughs> you. Um, Liberation School, the Movement Strategy Center has been really looking at what is the role of spirituality mm-hmm. and well-being and relationship building and love in uh, this the serious and focused organizing work that we're doing. Um, and I'm just excited to like convene as many people as possible to have these conversations and spread that work because I didn't know about any of those initiatives a couple of years ago. And if I had had more access to that in my development as an organizer, I think that I would have had a really different last decade of just even <laughs> how I sustain myself and move in the world and the places that my leadership would have been able to soften and receive feedback and adapt and grow if I had been more resourced like in my own body, which Mm-hmm. Then allows me to see strategy and receive feedback around anti oppression um, on a personal and systemic level in a really different way. And so I think, like, when we think about creating supports to help preserve our bodies and our dignity and our well being in this work, we're not only preserving our humanity, but we're also totally changing the nature and the quality of. The work that it's possible for us to create. Mm. We create space for listening and creativity and imagination and like all of these, you know, relationship building, trust, the things that we need and in order to create a liberated world. Um, and so I'm curious from yeah. both of you, Shauna and Teresa, what are some of the conversations, like the topics that you wrestle with? Um, or questions that you have that you would be excited for us
1: to convene conversation around during this mm. podcast in the future. <laughs> you just spoke about this earlier: is how you build, um, you know, healing justice work into the fabric of organizing. You know, having strong organizations and they're two different things, but it's not seen as an add on. I'm really, really, really interested in stories about. Um, how folks are changing the very fabric of the work through taking care of each other, taking better care of themselves, and really bridging those um, you know bridging those pieces together. I'm also part of this network, Gender at Work, um, an international group of um, consultants that do gender and organizational change work, um, and one of the things that we do is these action learning reflective processes to challenge and change gender um, dynamics within organizations. And challenge power, um, and so there's this mind body, you know, heart kind of methodology that uses um, Tai Chi in all different cultures. So, mm. you know, it looks different in different places, um, you know, depending on what the dominant culture is. But, um, but still, you know, and it's so inspiring. And still, folks that are facilitating are saying, "But we want to do more of that work. You know, we've got a lot of things to do when we're doing these workshops, mm. and we still don't have enough time for people to get embodied." You know, and I think that's such a crucial thing. We don't we're not very good at being embodied and, mm. and being in presence in real presence with other people. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's not just about the practices, it is about practice, but what you know, what does that look like systematically? Mm-hmm. How can we support each other better? You know, decapitalize the whole thing, um, change the power dynamics of resourcing this kind of work.
2: Yep. All of that piece, particularly around the systemic, is really interesting to me because uh, oftentimes healing care can get stuck at the practice level of just the immediate care and the, the methodologies of what you're actually doing. But I'm really interested on how how do we deeply connect how movements function and are formed and grow and have ethic behind the healing piece, not being adjunctive to how movements function but the, how do we make how, how do we see people doing this or trying to do it or envisioning creating a symbiosis where those parts don't have to be separate silos that one just comes in and and you know plopping some healing practices in i mean i think it's important to be doing the work of, of front lines care. And, and that is another area that I'm interested in. What does that look like? How are people mm. manifesting it? What does it mean to provide that frontline care? But then also, how does it not just become a responsive thing when the pain gets mm-hmm. too much, but how does it structurally get built into how communities form in a new and different way so that every every phase of the entire process of movement actually is built in a different way? That's really... That's very interesting to me. And then, you know, as I was talking before, really a huge piece for me is how are we sort of decolonizing the constructs of of whiteness and power that inform the way that movements are built? So maybe that's an extension as well of the idea of how do we create the system, you know, how do we create communities that we want and not just reinforce the systems that people are struggling against. But how do you deconstruct this sort of whiteness uh, and and colonized methodology that I've realized, and even trying to deconstruct it personally and then organizationally with Mystic Soul, is so deeply embedded in how we do things. And so what does it look like to find and resource and tell the stories about the historical memory and and how are people doing that? I really more and more want to know how people are reclaiming, remembering, and how they're bringing that into their organizing and, and into their into the ways that they're caring for themselves and their communities because I know it's happening but it's still happening in pockets and I just want to hear those stories.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Just in transitioning us towards wrapping up our time. I wonder too like what might we deeply need on a personal level in terms of continuing this work? Like I know one of the things that I'm really listening for all the time and more through this project too. Um, is specifically around like how I as a white woman organizer um, can both support um, from the sidelines those kinds of spaces for reclaiming um, that are very necessary for communities that have identities different than my own. Um, Uplifting those stories, creating... um, support structures as much as is possible or wanted from the outside. And then also um, looking at how are these practices um, possible doorways to build real deeper interdependent um, multiracial organizing initiatives Um, feels like a really close question to my heart. Um, Places where we're able to regularly and deeply really talk about the oppression that folks are facing on, uh, such different levels. Um, and also the way that oppression shows up in our own interactions and our own spaces and the importance of bringing both of those things into integrity. Um, and so I'm hungry for this to be a place where those kind of conversations can happen. Um, and I'm also just hungry for, uh, a broad conversation about like, maybe healing justice is a term that makes deep sense to some folks and maybe to others it doesn't at all. Um, Maybe there's other language we need to be using. What are some of the dynamics of the history that we can bring uh, into the conversation? And also um, like, what is some of the healthy tension around what's going to move us forward as a species? Um, and there are definitely folks at ends of continuum, right? Like that healing is like really the work that we need to be doing and that our systems will reorganize themselves as a result of that culture shift and individual transformation and collective transformation. And then also folks who are like, the house is on fire. We don't have time to heal. Like we need to act. Hmm. Um, and so I'm just excited for this like podcast microphone to be a campfire that folks can gather around And not that this platform is in and of itself making a case for a particular thing, but that we can have those really real debates and that from one day to the next, there's even room for the diversity within ourselves to be like on the side that says, you know, the house is on fire, we got to grab a pail of water now, Um, or to say like, it's time for us to be taking to be going deeper, because the way we're taking action is replicating harm. And so I'm excited for like that kind of healthy debate and um, different perspectives to be able to be part of this conversation. Mm. And I need that in my own life. I need a community that wants to hold all of that uh, in the way that we're relating around the change that we're seeking. Mm-hmm. So how about y'all? Anything on a personal level that you're just like really looking for in support of your own work right now?
2: At least for me, I think, you know, it's it's been, I've been so grateful for the handful of people that I sort of found at the fringes of movements that are doing this work, you know, uh, like yourself, Kate, you know, meeting you at the Momentum Training, but I'm just really hungry. I mean, you described community, but I'm really hungry for a community of people that want to talk about what all of this looks like or could look like. Uh, and I see that community growing, again, because there's a, there's a sort of urge, a new level of urgency, I think, in movements for this to happen, and some more people, wherever they are on the continuum of what's needed, want to talk about, in some way, shape, or form, what does healing look like in, or for, or at the foundational structure of movements. And I'm just really. I want to have the. I want to hear those conversations, not just even have them. Just step back also and be able to just hear and and myself be nourished by people doing this work and finding their way and learning from others and the sort of you know conception that there's all this wisdom that I I don't even know about yet and that sometimes, oftentimes, you know, sort of in an action space to be a healing person can feel lonely and isolating. And so just to, for my own sense of self-nurturing to be able to feel connected to people that are seeking those things out in whatever ways they look like is, is exciting and um, already sort of renewing for me.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I totally feel that and agree with that. Um, I want to hear stories. I want to hear people's um, experiences and challenges and how they've kind of made their way through doing this kind of work um whatever it looks like and all the diversity um of experiences because it is like i there's no particular path you know i mean it's it's um very different from a you know becoming a doctor or a uh, you know, a teacher or, you know, the things that when I was a kid, it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be something different. So maybe like a DJ, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, I want to hear the different paths because it's inspiring and it helps people to see it. It would help me to see like, what are different ways of living this life, you mm. know, and, and doing, me in a holistic way that Mm -hmm. enables me to, you know, share whatever power I have with others and work with others for a deep change, Mm. you know, for for real transformation.
0: Well, I think in some ways this project is a little bit of like a DJ of liberation kind of project, (laughs) so maybe you're becoming a DJ (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, I just want to thank you both so much for your accompaniment in figuring out what this work looks like in general, in the world, in the ways that we've collaborated around offering workshops together. And, um, now in this conversation, um, grateful for the seeds of community that I have, that I hope are just the beginning. Um, and thank you for offering your voices and your wisdom. Um, so thank you. And we look forward to being on this journey together. You just heard a conversation between Kate Warning, that's me, Teresa Pasquale Mateus, and Shauna Wakefield. This first week's practice is going to be simple. It's listening to a poem. When is the last time that you listened to a poem read aloud? Download the corresponding practice episode and enjoy. You can access the show notes, including the links and resources we mentioned during the conversation. Learn more about upcoming conversations and guests and sign up to stay in touch with us at healingjustice.org. Follow us on Instagram at healingjustice. This podcast is generously mixed and produced by Zach Meyer at The Coal Room. Intro and closing music gifted by Danny O'Brien. Our team is 100% volunteer and we are spending our own money to cover the tech costs. So if you are in a position to chip in, please join this project by contributing at patreon.com slash And remember, please subscribe, rate, and review in iTunes to help us continue. Thank you for your commitment to build movements that heal us and our world. And I look forward to being on this journey with you. Hear you next week.